So today is a Sunday, March 8th, and it's, um, it's 7 a.m., although uh, daylight savings was last night, so it's actually 6 a.m. Yes, and if I look tired and sound tired, I am tired. <laughs> Bryn woke up hours ago. I woke up minutes ago. I actually only woke up like 40 minutes ago. <laughs> Although I, what I did was I accidentally, I was like, oh, I have to wake up at 5.30 pre-daylight savings time, which is actually 6.30 daylight savings time. But I set my alarm for 5.30, oh, yeah. which is like 4.30. So then I, I woke up at that time and went back to bed for another hour. Great. But then I got up and got ready and woke Michael up to have this podcast, and I really appreciate you. I think he's so excited about the podcast that he's willing to get up at 6 a.m. Yes. To record the second one with me. I am. And so the reason we're actually recording it at 6 a.m. is because, and really 7 a.m., but 6 a.m. pre-daylight savings time, is because I have this class that I'm teaching this morning, and I just thought it would be a great way to prepare for class is to explore the subject with Michael first. And Bryn also made us chai, if you can see yes, here. Yes, I made Beautiful chai. chai. Those are try. our black tea bags right there. We're going to try to have this a lot more. That way we can have some fun with it on Saturday mornings or Sunday mornings. Oh, right, because Michael wants to uh, invite people onto our podcast and then serve them chai. Eventually, yes. Yeah, I said sure. that we need to at least get 10 <laughs> under our belt of just him and I getting used to each other. Yeah. Yeah, so let's delve into this subject this morning so I can go back to sleep. <laughs> okay, so I guess I'll preface, preface the discussion by saying that the main uh, source that I've been using for this course is a book called Eastern Body, Western Mind by Anna Dea Judith. Um, and I... Uh, this place is like the this place. This book is like the the Bible of of chakras. So it's been really helpful for me to listen to. And then I also want to acknowledge that the way in which Anadea Judith interprets the chakras is very much from a psychological perspective, which is a relatively modern thing with chakras. If we look back towards like uh, when chakras are cited in scriptures thousands of years ago, they're not talking at all about the same sorts of things that she's talking about here. They're, they're more kind of cited here and there, and then they're also, I guess they start to come up, they start to come up more through the development of Hatha Yoga. Um, as people are looking more specifically at how do we um, celebrate our human bodies through the practice of yoga and not just um, think of yoga as a transcendental science. I think we should take our baby's bone away. Okay. Our dog's chewing on a bone right now and I'm just wondering how loud it's gonna be. Not really sure. Poor sweet baby. <laughs> anyway, so just saying that, that the psychological interpretation of the chakras is definitely a newer thing. Um, and it's also very useful. I think sh she creates a structure for people uh, to have an evolutionary path based on the chakras, based on psychology. And there's so many correlations between the different areas of the body that the chakras are associated with and different types of um, psychological problems that we have. So I'm just going to pause there and see if you want to add anything. I will add very little. <laughs> <laughs> I listened to this book uh, maybe two and a half years ago. I listened to a little bit of it the other day on the sixth chakra, and I really enjoy it. I didn't think I would enjoy it as much because I feel like I've heard some psychological interpretations with the chakras, and for some reason... It just didn't really vibe with me. And maybe it was because it was Freudian in nature where they're looking at certain age range. This is infancy. This is one to three years old, three to five. But I actually really enjoyed listening to it this last time I listened to it recently. And I think that's all I really have to add. Yeah, well, I'll <laughs> say that Michael came to the class number one and then... Um, 
He's been skipping out on Sundays because that's his day off after uh, having soccer games and stuff on Saturdays. So he, so now she found the louder toy, the one that actually squeaks. <laughs> and I have to take this away from her too. Oh, precious. So she's squeaking it. Oh, I feel bad. Okay. Um, so he came back to actually, he came to class one, got the first chakra, skipped chakras two through five, and then he, it's okay because he's, he's not, I mean, you know, like you come to my stuff because you're being sweet and supportive and um, I totally respect that you need to have your space. Um, anyways, and then he came back to teach the sixth chakra while I was uh, visiting my friend Andrea in New York. And so then he listened on Audible to uh, the chapter on the sixth chakra and I think part of the reason that you may have liked it better than the previous chakras is because by the time you get to the sixth chakra and the, by the time she's defining it, um, the age range thing doesn't quite apply anymore. Mm. Like we just say yeah. that sixth chakra is like early adulthood, re-examining the belief patterns that have been laid out for us in our lives. Whereas chakras one through five actually do have like clear age ranges associated with them and, and um, she's looking at like developmental tasks that are happening during certain age ranges and how not to say that like one chakra is never at, like isn't at work at a certain period of time, but she does say that there's time periods where like the first chakra is its development is prevalent, and the second chakra's development is prevalent, and the third and the fourth and so on. Um, and so you guys get to listen in on this po only our second podcast, but this is week seven for the class, so we're finally up to the crown chakra now. Yeah, we're, yeah, we're starting with the crown chakra, the big kahuna, <laughs> the thousand-petaled lotus. That's right. So the, the name in Sanskrit of the crown is Sahasrara, which means thousand-petaled lotus. I'm glad that you were pronouncing that and not myself. It's really not easy to pronounce. I'm sure if Jen was listening to this, she might have some corrections. Jen's <laughs> our, our Sanskrit teacher, mm -hmm. but I guess it's better than... It's better than average. Yeah. Pronunciation. So I'm curious as to, with the crown chakra, what you've discovered through reading this, what you've... Yeah, let's maybe talk about the book first, and then, I mean, I'm guessing you're going to also weave in your own experience, and we can talk about other teachers and other books and what, what they say about that experience, too. Um, and I think when we think about... Can I start a little oh, bit? Oh, yeah, go Thank ahead. Thank you. Um, when we think about the crown chakra, we think about the enlightenment experience. We think about, like, again, the, the big kahuna or the, the big thing that, that happens to us in enlightenment. Um, but it's not necessarily that. And I think everybody's had some experience with the crown chakra, at least. When the top of the head starts tingling because of... You know, your heart opens in some way because you're thinking of your family. And it could even be during meditation or during the, the visualization that we talked about, about when you're trying to get into an emotional state, you can start to feel your crown chakra activating in some way. So again, it's not necessarily that, you know, you have to be meditating for a certain amount of time. You have to be at some certain spiritual state in order to experience this. We experience this every day. Um, if we notice it. Yeah, I guess I think what I would say to that is, again, we have to look at which interpretation of the chakras um, we want to abide by. And when we're looking at Anadaya Judith's interpretation, we're certainly having seventh chakra experiences mm -hmm. um, pretty frequently because she's really just describing like a certain psychological state of being that's pretty elevated. Whereas when we look at like more a more traditional yogic interpretation of the seventh chakra, then we might actually describe it as like a type of enlightenment experience. Sure. Like if we're trying to get to that point, is that what you're saying? Yeah, I yeah. guess so. Although regardless of whatever um, tradition we're looking at, whether it's modern or classical, um, any tradition will say that if you have like an elevated crown chakra experience, this is not like suddenly meaning that you're enlightened, like, <laughs> like don't worry, you don't have any problems anymore. Um, 
like no matter what, it's it's very essential that like we have this experience. It creates a, a groove in our brain the same way that other thoughts and experiences do. And that groove is weak if we only experience it one time. So in order for something to really become established within ourselves, we have to experience it repeatedly. Mm-hmm. So like we have to have these um, experiences of connectedness, which is a big part of the crown chakra, repeatedly for it really to become a part of who we are. Yeah, and just to bridge off of that a little bit, I, I enjoy hearing these yogic teachers and these other maybe mystical teachers in books say that exact same thing that you know you don't just hit the samadhi state which is also a term for enlightenment union yoking your consciousness to a higher consciousness absorption all these different terms but you don't just hit the samadhi state and all of a sudden life changes all your worries fall away um, now you have God consciousness that that's not it at all if you look at these masters in these books that are teaching this it's a constant practice and obviously if they're even if we or they are even getting into that state they're already practicing it's already a, a groove inside of their their habitual routine that they're doing every single day Uh, And then another thing, just to add on top of that, this is going back to the Yoga Sutras, so a more classical definition of like looking at crown chakra experiences. Michael mentioned the word samadhi, which can be interpreted to mean different things, but I guess the interpretation that's coming to my mind right now is like a super conscious absorption. And I mentioned in the podcast on meditation that when we describe meditation, um, there's a point of like, extended concentration on one object and at the samadhi state there's not a differentiation between myself and the object and I guess before I go on I I, want to say a little bit more about that like when I first heard that like when samadhi is the state in which you and the objects of concentration become one um, that sounded like real like oh my goodness like I'm one with the universe and and that Canon does happen in a samadhi state, but it also, this happens like on a much more practical, um, accessible way every single day. And I'm not saying that when this happens every single day, we're in samadhi necessarily, but I'm just look, citing like the way that the mind functions, which is that like the way that the mind actually does understand objects is by um, extending itself to them like for me to understand what this object is I do there's there's a part of me that is already extending myself into it um, and another thing is that part of the reason that like I can't have a full understanding of whatever the object is in front of me I'm, I'm touching this little black ball thing but you know it gets a lot more interesting when you're actually thinking about it in relationship to a person. Part of the reason I can't have like a clear clear access to understanding the person in front of me is just because of all of the stuff that's on my own uh, lens. This is a word that Jen, our Yoga Sutra teachers, teacher uses, like that we, we have this way of seeing things and then we have a bunch of stuff covering it, which is basically our, our karma or um, uh, what yoga calls samskaras, which is just like impressions. Uh, impressions get stored on the mind, and then those impressions are clouding my ability to just clearly extend my consciousness to be able to see and receive the person in front of me. So if I'm not, if I don't have a, a clear per- perception of the, or if yeah, if I haven't cleared all this stuff off of my lens, then when I see Michael. I'm not necessarily seeing Michael as he is. I'm seeing him as I see him with all of my projections on top of it. And the world functions off of projections. I mean, it's, it's all, nearly impossible not to unless a person has just like cleaned off their uh, um, impressions and their subjective ideas off of their lens so much. Uh, okay, that was one tangent. No, let me go back to what I think I was going to say, if I can remember. Talking about having the repeated experience of meditation, that, of that being necessary. 
Well, one thing to keep in mind is that the Yoga Sutras describe several different levels of samadhi. So, I mean, that's another thing is that, like, we have this experience, this unitive experience with the object of concentration. And at this point, you know, the object of concentration is usually something elevated, mm -hmm. like a deity, or seeing the essence of the divine inside of something like some element like earth or the sun. Um, anyways, at that point, when we're having the unitive experience, there's so many different levels of the unitive experience. Like, there, it's this gradual peeling away, like initially just peeling away even the label, if I'm focusing on this, the sun that raise, rises in the sky every day, there's a peeling away even of just the, the term, the word, the sun, and there's the peeling away of my cultural projections of the sun, and then there's the peeling away of, of the elemental forces that make up the sun. And these are just like the initial phases of samadhi. And then as we go deeper, we're going more and more to the essence of what a thing is. And when we get like to the, one of the further points of some, the experience of, experiences of samadhi that can be described, where it's no longer a sun, it's no longer has a name, it's no longer bound by time and space. Um, we're hardly even looking at like, we're not even looking at the elements that make up the sun. And we're, <clears throat> I think we've even gone beyond what I, um, the three gunas, the sattva, rajas, and tamas, consciousness, activity, and inertia, which are the three things that make up everything. Like we've begun, we've gone beyond all of that just to the essence of this essential consciousness that underlies everything. And that's kind of this unitive experience that, um, yoga talks about so much that we're all trying to get back towards and so i've now i've kind of described like the part of a classical interpretation of the crown chakra experience but i think it would be good to look back at well what is this slightly more grounded experience of the seventh chakra that you're saying we can have on a daily basis yeah and um, to me when i think about the crown chakra right I think about certain chakras are more connected to each other than other chakras. And I know someone probably out there is going to be like, what are you talking about? And that's not true at all. And, but this is just my experience with it. And when I look at the crown chakra in particular, I think about receptivity. I think about receiving from the divine, receiving grace. I think about things like synchronicity and connectedness. And you said that you said, and well, sort of esoteric things maybe because we can't really see these things that activate the crown chakra you know we can't see love we can't see joy we can't see connectedness we might interpret somebody's uh, communication together as connectedness but we can't really see it so I think of the crown chakra it, that has well I think the crown chakra has a lot of relation and a lot of connectedness to the heart chakra so that when the heart opens, which is the fourth chakra, and I'm not talking about the heart over here, and for those of you listening, I'm pointing to my left pectoral muscle. <laughs> I'm talking about the heart in the center of the chest, which is the, the heart center, the heart chakra, and it's the fourth chakra. So the fourth and the seventh, which the crown's on the very top of the head, it's visualized as a thousand petal lotus, which is a lot of petals, which basically the classical interpreters are using a thousand to say enumerous. That it's, you, you can't count it. So when the heart starts to open in a way, when we start to feel this love and this joy, then we can access the crown. To me, without the heart opening in a way, it's really hard to access the crown. Because I look at it like steps or levels that this is me starting to bridge from the lower three chakras, which has to do with me individually, to the higher three chakras, which has to do with the whole. And when I'm looking at connectedness with the crown chakra, it does usually have to do, this is the way I experience it. When I'm going for a walk or when I'm meditating and I'm thinking about the whole, I'm thinking about how the grass that I'm looking down at starts to connect with the water that I'm looking at in the river. 
starts to connect with the earth that makes up the bridge and the cars and the people. And I look up at the sky and I realize, wow, this is incredible. I'm having this amazing experience called life in this present moment. And I start to appreciate it. And that's when I start to feel those little tingles inside of my heart. And that's maybe, I mean, this doesn't always happen, uh, but maybe when I start to feel the tingles on the top of my head as well, um, to a greater or lesser degree. Great. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, and I guess even as you're describing uh, taking the walk and connecting into nature, there is this sort of, there is a sense of connection. And at that point, you know, it's, it's intellectual, but it's not just intellectual because it's also becoming emotional. And I think that, I think just you describing that, it's, it's really important. If we can take the ideas that we intellectually have about interconnectedness and we can actually feel them emotionally. It doesn't mean that we suddenly know it all the way through and through because I, I think to know it through and through requires literally having like a, a unitive experience. Um, but if we start to know it on an emotional level, like that's getting us so much closer to, um, I guess we're, I don't know. I mean, it's getting us closer to a crown experience and emotions, I mean, they're such powerful tools. I, I guess as, as I say how, what a powerful tool emotions are, they can also, it's like your emotions and your mind can be both your greatest servant and your greatest enemy. Because we have to like we have to understand how to navigate through them in a way that serves us instead of thinking, like putting, uh, putting all of our marbles into this thought. Is that how you say it? Put all your marbles like <laughs> like just like betting everything on this thought or betting everything on this emotion or forgetting in the in the moment of experiencing the thought and or the emotion that this too is going to pass. And I guess that's the thing too. It's like if Michael when he has those ex emotional experiences of really feeling connected, um, that too is going to pass. But the more that he has it, the more that it becomes, he knows it more deeply within himself. To me, it reminds me too about what's important. Mm -hmm. A lot of times I get stuck in just the dross of the day of going from one task to the next. And this necessarily isn't a bad thing, I don't think, oh, I'm so unfortunate for this. Oftentimes I, I like that. But when I go for a walk, when I meditate, when I pause for a moment, when I take a shower and I'm thinking about my day, whatever it is, it helps me to reflect a little bit. And if I can get into those spaces where I'm reflecting in a positive way, on a positive note, well then that's affecting the rest of my day. Yeah. If I'm reflecting and it's a negative note, it's got a negative undertone, that affects the rest of my day too. And it's very clear to me when I reflect at night, whether through meditation or journaling or, or something, uh, that my day has been just a bunch of little negative or positive experiences. <laughs> and if I've had greater positive experience, well then in my mind it becomes quote unquote a good day. Yeah. And if I've had greater negative experiences, it's quote unquote a bad day. Even if I don't want to admit that to myself, that's how I'm viewing it. It's good for me to know that what you said, this too shall pass on the bad days. You know, I think about that a lot. I think about that. This emotion is going to pass at some point, whether it's today or three days from now or a week from now, it'll pass. It'll become more neutral. Things will get more positive. But on those good days, you know, I don't really like to think about that. I do think about it, but I'd rather say, oh, this, this isn't going to pass. I'm going to be in this state for a long time. And I think that's the, the delusion also that we can get into when we're talking about crown chakra type of experiences of what's reality, what's not reality. And this also has to do with the sixth chakra too. Mm -hmm. Um but we, we can definitely become delusional when it comes to grounded stuff. And that's just all the more importance to be lined up in a way or grounded in the other chakras. Unfortunately, none of our viewers got to hear the one through six chakras. <laughs> so they have no idea what we're talking about. But that's okay. 
Well, so I, I was just thinking um, to kind of, yeah, you're going right where I was thinking too, which is one, just going back to Michael's description of ways in which he can connect at the crown chakra in a, in a relatively accessible way is he mentioned taking a walk. He even mentioned taking a shower. And the reason I love this is because uh, the, the thought that's going through my mind is like to really have a, a, an authentic crown experience or say a, a crown chakra experience that's going to make the state of one's life better rather than aggravated, the lower chakras have to be, uh, they have to be open. We have to have gone through the trials of the lower chakras. And not to say that taking a walk is connecting at all with like trials of the first chakra, but what I will say is that the first chakra is connected with the element of earth. And so when the first chakra is out of balance, um, and oftentimes it is out of balance because people are disconnected from their bodies, the way that we balance it is by getting connected back to nature, getting connected back to the earth element, feeling the sensation of the dirt underneath our feet, going and hugging trees. And then Michael mentioned, and there's way more ways to do it too, and then Michael mentioned a shower, which is connecting with the element of water. So the element of water is um, the element of the second chakra. And so he's actually just saying that like he can have these crown chakra experiences by tuning into the strengths of the other chakras. Mm -hmm. That the, the, experience, the experience of the crown chakras is totally dependent, again, upon the, the, the opening and the availability of the lower chakras. And so I mentioned just a moment ago, like, the only way you can really have an experience of the crown chakra that's not aggravating as opposed to balancing is to have the lower chakras open, is to say that like people can have crown chakra experiences, but if you have no grounding, if you have no sense of reality, which comes from these lower chakras, and by reality I don't mean like the underlying reality of connectedness, I mean like the physical reality, the way we experience this world in a dual way. The fact that there's me and there's you and there's boundaries and I have an edge to my physical body. If, if, if a person doesn't have that as a foundation before they're having these crown chakra experiences, it's like a disembodied spirit. And if they may keep pushing themselves toward having crown chakra experiences, they're actually pushing themselves further and further into a state of disembodiment, which can lead to states of delusion or psychosis. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I feel like that's what drugs can do. It, exactly. If, if we're not doing the work here on a day-to-day -day basis of, you know, turning negative into positive, of meditating, of being mindful, of being kind, of being responsible, of being productive those types of qualities, those positive qualities, for not honing those, and we decide that we want to go on a bunch of acid trips or, or whatever it is. You know, I've been watching the Grateful Dead documentary yeah. <laughs> on Amazon, so that's what I'm thinking about is, is acid trips right now. If someone were to go on a bunch of acid trips, you can literally lose your mind. You can go crazy, and that's definitely been documented and happened plenty of times in the past. So, yeah, so we want to make sure that we're doing the work here physically, that we're doing it emotionally, we're processing things, we're doing it mentally, we can be the observer, we don't have to be attached to our actions in a way, um, or at least we can start to see, wow, this is my action, this is my thought, and this is me. Those are different things. Just because somebody says a thought, or say, yeah, excuse me, says a thought, and you may not like it, well, it doesn't mean that you don't necessarily like the person. It just means that you disagree with their thought. So separating the thoughts versus the actions of a person versus the essence of the person is a really important thing. And to be able to do this with yourself is even more important and even harder. Let's hold that thought because I have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> oh, we'll hit pause. Okay. So we're back. I had to take care of some root chakra needs before I could really connect into the, the crown chakra. Oh, good. <laughs> and now I feel so much better. 
Okay, uh, tell me the last thing you said. Hmm. I think that... Were you just talking? No. Okay. Hmm. I know it was about connectedness. I don't remember. Okay. Maybe I should do some memory exercises. <laughs> um, I think, I mean, I, I had been commenting on, uh, like, the other grounding elements. Oh, I think we were talking about the Grateful Dead, and you were talking about, like, the psychosis experience. And mm -hmm. so, I mean, I, yeah, this is something that really does happen quite a bit, that people will take drugs and it will open up their upper chakras and they'll be so like captivated by the experiences that they'll just want to live in that reality. Yeah. <clears throat> but the thing is like it becomes very much an unreality because it's not coupled with the the truths of each of the other chakras. So um, one of the things I describe in my class is that like each chakra has a truth, a perspective, a reality that needs to be embraced and understood. And then once the reality and the truth of each chakra is understood, we can say that it's relatively uh, open and then that provides the foundation to move up to the next chakra and the next and the next and the next until we get to the seventh chakra but the thing is that like the the reality of the seventh chakra isn't really true until we've done the work um, uh, from all the previous chakras yeah yeah so I know that that book bridges into connectedness. Is there anything else that you found would be kind of a key word for the crown chakra that you want to talk about? Well, so let me just think about some of the exercises that she actually has suggests that a person does. And I did, I think I did three of them yesterday while I was journaling. Mm -hmm. So um, one of them is on developing the witness capacity. Another one is on uh, like your image of a higher self or a God or a deity and, and having a conversation with that higher self and being able to like see life from that higher self perspective. And then another one was a meditation that I did with you. You and I did that together mm -hmm. yesterday and that was like the stripping away of all of these different identities. Um, and I think there was another one but I'll, I'll remember it um, here in a little bit. I think that it would be good to explain what the witness is. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, I mean, the way that she actually has this, facilitates this exercise is for us to think of a situation that's challenging for us, that gets us emotionally charged. And so then to like, and you can do this either sitting with a person or you can do it journaling. And I went ahead and did it journaling, but to, Think of the situation, like uh, put it in your mind's eye, and then as you're putting it in your mind's eye, like actually picturing it uh, like you're watching it on a television where you can hit pause. You can hit pause and you can kind of stop and you can look at the scenario. And so I think that's the main thing, that's, that's the, the tool that she gives in the exercise to actually go back towards witness is your you're looking at the perspective, you're looking at the situations in your life, but instead of being in them, you're, you're watching them. But I mean, here's the tricky thing about this exercise, and I mean, I had to notice this myself, is like, okay, I'm thinking about a difficult scenario. And as I think about the difficult scenario, I actually stopped journaling for a while, uh, started talking to Michael and was like, I can't believe that such and such and such and such and such and such and 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 so then I like <laughs> like oh my gosh I just got like totally sucked back into the drama of this scenario <laughs> and so then but although I will say that like as I said that um, Michael and I started exploring different perspectives on the situation and so here's one of the things that like came to my mind as we were exploring it is that uh, when we really like if I, I look at a difficult situation and a situation that may have been occurring for decades now would you really trade the person that you are now um, in order not to have experienced that difficult situation because as, as we talk about it it's like no like I, I wouldn't take back anything about who I am and 
much of our much of our strength of character actually comes through difficulties that we experience through other people. And so then that was really like the big takeaway for me was that um, people's in um, this word inequities, mm -hmm. inequities. Another person's inequity can be as much a gift as another person's kindness. And I mean, it totally depends on how we decide to respond to it. And so I guess I feel like the witness consciousness can lead to these deeper realizations is that let me step back from the scenario, let me look at like the person that I am now. Um, <clears throat> although even that, I guess this is kind of more of like a functioning as analysis of the situation. Sure. So let me go back a little bit back towards the witness. So I mean that was kind of how I got there in a roundabout way. It was first like recognizing the goodness from the situation. Um, although as she, like as we go th in the exercise, it's like while you're doing it, say you know I'm, I'm writing about the experience and then I notice the point where I start to get emotionally charged and then I hit the pause button and in that pause button, it's like stepping back from the situation and actually observing what's going on inside of my physical body. Like, what's she doing? How is she tensing her muscles? What's her facial expression? What types of emotions is she experiencing? Is there heat in her body? What are, what are the physical sensations? What is the environment like around her? So there's this um, uh, attempt to create objectivity where it's like somebody else is looking at it but they're not having the same emotional charge um, that the characters in in the situation are having so you're just explaining I, I once had a criminal justice teacher say to me that if there was a crime committed and there could be a thousand people around that there'd be a thousand different stories mm. even though we all saw the exact same thing, we'd still have a thousand different perspectives on what happened. And it seems to me that's because, there's a lot of factors, but mainly because we attach some sort of label onto it. So for the witness, what I hear you saying is that you're stepping back, almost like a, like a spirit out of your body, mm -hmm. and you're saying, oh, she's experiencing joy in her heart, She's experiencing anxiety, or excuse me, I shouldn't even say that. Wow, I'm already labeling it. <laughs> um, she's experiencing a tingling in her heart. She's experiencing uh, some Butter something in her eyes. stomach, fluttering in her stomach. She's experiencing heat in her body. Rather than saying she's joyful and yet she's nervous on how to take the next step or something like that. So we're, we're not going straight away into labels because it's really easy for us to do that because we've done that our entire life. You know, we're, we're interpreting our feelings all the time. And you've done it for years, and I've done it for years, and everybody's done it for years. So when that starts to happen to another person, especially when we're connecting with another person, they start to squirm a little or whatever, we might say, oh, that person's nervous. But we really don't have any idea if they're nervous, and, and maybe they're a little bit but there are probably a lot of other things, too. Mm -hmm. So it's important when we go to interpret any sort of situation that we attempt to have this witness type of mentality. And even just in practicing, it helps us to get better at doing it. I don't think the very first time we go and we say, okay, let me, hold on, let me, I, I'm supercharged right now emotionally, but let me just step out. <laughs> and let me witness this from a different perspective and all of a sudden we go oh this connects to this this connects to this this connects to this problem solved I'm done no more emotional charge I can flip that negative to the positive that's a terrible idea yeah not great because all of a sudden what you've just done is swept things under the rug and I know this from a lot of experience <laughs> this is something that I've been very very mindful of not to do and to stay with the negative emotion actually. Because that negativity, it's like if you just keep going into that darkness more and more and more, all of a sudden you start to see the light at the end of the tunnel. You start to, the, the light, the, the experience brings some sort of result to it. At, again, at some point, it may take days, it may take weeks, but we can walk through that negative experience and learn something I think a lot greater because we're paying more attention 
than to positive experiences usually. If we're having a positive experience, it's like, woo, <laughs> this is fun, you know, I just want to be in this emotion, I want to just keep doing what I'm doing. But even that, too much of that, you know, too much of roller coasters at Disney World, and I'm puking. <laughs> turns into a negative experience. Yeah. Fast. Oh, our, our baby just popped her head up. Oh my gosh, let me just bring her up so everyone can, <laughs> can oh, she's trying to run away. Come here, baby, come here. Come here, sweetie. This is going to happen every podcast, probably. I'm not probably. She's so precious, and you just <laughs> love her. Um, okay, so going... Uh, okay, let me, go, I, let me go back to... I mean, thank you for initiating these good questions about what I actually want to talk about, about the crown chakra. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about the witness, and I just want to contextualize a little bit more, like, why is the witness important for the seventh chakra? And Maybe it's obvious, maybe it's not... Although, I, when we get to, when we're talking about having these experiences of really feeling like the underlying essential identity of connectedness, that we are all coming from the same place, then it seems natural that we would also have this more objective perspective on the world, which is akin to the witness consciousness, which is also, as I was describing earlier, in, in when we're having deeper states of meditation and we're having a unitive experience with an object, it means that we don't have like all, all of our own um, biases on top. Like when I'm focusing on something, I don't have all my biases about who I think you are and all of that. Mm -hmm. And which actually makes me want to say too that it seems like it's um, being able to have this samadhi experience means that a person has already like cleared off a lot of their biases. Yeah. Um, and I mean, maybe I'm wrong about that because I hear that there's people can be very disciplined and have unitive or they can have like these like mental experiences, but still come out and be kind of sideways or. Yeah, but I think we're talking about something different, which you have these unitive experiences. You, you already said that there's different levels to Samadhi mm -hmm. and that I think that certain levels maybe, again, this is my own thought on it, you can hit certain levels without having to necessarily clear all the other chakras out and be a perfect person. That you can hit those levels of samadhi and have these great experiences and even develop what are called cities or powers. You know, we think about supernatural powers like telepathy um, or uh, psychometry or... or certain things like like that telekinesis maybe you know and I, I don't know if those things exist necessarily I haven't had anybody necessarily prove them to me and I don't really care about that but there are people that supposedly develop these powers and they have a fall from grace and in the yoga sutras in a lot of books a lot of teachers of mine have told me too that we need to actually ignore these these types of things that happen because all it does is it bolsters up the ego. Mm -hmm. And once it bolsters up the ego, and you do something like that where you're showing a power, kind of like Sai Baba nowadays, he takes, a, you know, he's giving people all kinds of jewelry and stuff. Like he shakes his hand. And materializing it out And of it materializes hands. out of his hand, and he gives it to a person. Now again, I don't know if that's a magic trick or if it's actually happening. But what I'm saying is he has a ton of followers. And whenever people have a ton of followers, it's extremely, seems like extremely easy for them to fall from grace, to have some sort of sexual encounters with, with um, women or men, whether it's a male or female, um, or to, to be corrupt in some way, to be stealing money. Uh, we just watched that, or I just watched that documentary on Bikram, yeah, who was doing all the above. Uh, you know, so I feel like once people attain some sort of power, again, doesn't necessarily mean that it has to be them moving stuff with their mind, but power in their speech, power over people, power to do something in the world, it's even more important that those, that the disciplines that they've had stay there. And that's something that Baba Hari Das taught us, that, that his students continue to learn, is that, and, Baba Hari Das, our teacher that we mentioned on, on the last podcast, 
he left his body in 2018, yeah. September 2018. I was going to say last year, but it wasn't last year. September of 2018, and he was a cave yogi who didn't speak for over 65 years. I mean, just an incredible example of a person who, even though he's reaching these incredible states, he was very wary about, you know, distance with other people. He wasn't necessarily going up and giving people hugs and, and doing one-on-one -on -one conversations behind closed doors either. He was very, um, I feel like, aware of what could incite desire in some people, um, of keeping distance and, and knowing that he didn't want to fall into the same trap as of a bunch of other yogis that he saw in his past, which is documented in his autobiography, fall into. It just seemed like in that autobiography, one after another, uh, things were disproven from these other yogis. It's, it's amazing. So yeah, I just, I wanted to kind of segue into that, that part of things. Yeah, and I, I feel like that goes back again to the idea of really opening up the crown chakra and necessitate, necessitates evolution in all the other chakras. Yeah. And I'm just thinking of Baba Haridas. There, there are like really two main teachings that he had. And one of them was to do regular sadhana. Sadhana means your daily spiritual practice, which includes meditation. And then it often includes breath work to get the body into a state of meditation and maybe some asana, which is the yoga movements and some reading. So he said, do regular sadhana and basically, in so many words, be a good person. Because mm -hmm. being a good person means that we have to address our relationship to the world. Um, he also has a wonderful like four-line statement. Uh, it's... Work honestly. Yeah, work, work honestly, meet, Medi meditate every day, meet people without fear, and play. And I feel like that's covering as well, again, the idea that we have to, we have to address all of these areas of our lives. And it can happen, um, I, and I'm totally speaking of myself, like a feeling, I, I remember I went to get a Reiki treatment, like for the first time when I was living in Brazil, I was like 22 at the time. And I was having so many health problems. Um, but the girl did a Reiki treatment on me and she's like, Man, your fifth, sixth, and seventh chakras are so open, <laughs> and your your first, second, and third are just all over the place. They're like just like not even there, and so then that was kind of like the first time I was like even really thought about it in those terms that I had all of this energy that had been directed into my upper chakras. Like I was thinking about spirituality all the time. Um, we both have said that like we wanted to like renounce the world, and I didn't care about having a job and making money and providing for regular things in the world. All I cared about was just like having some type of experience with God. But the thing is at that period in time, and I, I wasn't aware of it, I'm, I'm using, I'm like diverting all of my life force energy to my upper chakras and it's, in a way, it's a form of escapism because I don't know how to deal with like the regular problems of daily life. And the thing is that I was experiencing so much depression at that time because I could see that there was a lot of misalignment. It's like I wanted, I, I was, there'd be other ways where I'd be active, acting compulsively because my, my first chakra was um, really out of balance. It was ungrounded. I like hadn't even like established my sense of survival um, within the first chakra. So. Yeah, and I think what you're talking about too, I don't want to get too much off on a tangent, but you're talking about adolescence, really, when you're 22 and trying out new identities. So I think that's a really important time for us to go through. We try on different identities. We get really obsessed with those identities or we get really identified in those identities. But eventually, <clears throat> we let them go in some way. You know, it's not that you're going to be nowadays thinking about spirituality all the time and living up in the clouds while not wanting to have any responsibility because you figured out that I'm speaking for you you figured out I figured out people figure out that we have to have responsibility if we want to get into those elevated states and make them more permanent in a way pure or more pure in a way absolutely then 
we have to do the grounded work, the day-to-day things, the day-to-day tasks. We have to go through our life, have these trials, have ups and downs, and integrate them into us, into our body, mind, spirit, all of that, in some way, before, well, not before, while we think of our highest good as well. And what you said with Baba Hari Das about being a good person, I've also heard him say, build positive qualities. And that's what speaks to me. If I can focus on being kind to people, if I can focus on playing and, and experiencing joy in the world, even though I'm, I'm at work, quote unquote, I don't really feel like I have a job nowadays. Yeah. Um, I feel like it's more of a, not even a career, a vocation, that's the word that I'm mm-hmm. thinking of, a calling in some way, that stuff with yoga, whether it's asana or whether it's a private or whether it's uh, meditation or cool class that we're doing this 12 weeks, which is the artist way, like, that's amazing. Those are things I would be doing even if I weren't paid to do it. So I hardly call that quote-unquote work. And then with soccer, that's that's another thing that brings me so much joy to, to coach kids soccer. Again, something that I would do without getting paid. I, I just enjoy those things. Um, I totally lost my train of thought. <laughs> yeah, I did too. Yeah, I'm going off on too much of a tangent. Sorry, guys. Uh, but I guess what I'm, what I'm saying is, is we build positive qualities. This gives us the discipline every single day and the groundedness to be able to experience those fifth and sixth and seventh chakras opening so that, you know, also we have the fourth, the bridge, the, the heart chakra opening. We have the solar plexus open. We have the spleen open, hopefully, or the sacral chakra. And we have the root chakra open so that we can experience this connectedness. And I... I think that's where we're going with this whole thing is that the connectedness that we're talking about when you truly feel connected to another individual, to everything around you, that it's the alignment from the root chakra all the way up, all the seven chakras to the crown chakra. And you experience joy or bliss or happiness or unity. You know, it could be as high as that. That's the connectedness for me that... I experience every once in a while. We're like, man, yeah, let me get some more of that. Thank you, sweetie. You're welcome. I think we gotta wrap it up. We gotta wrap it up. Wow. Okay. It went by so fast. It's already been like almost an hour. Wow. I'm awake now. I'm not ready to go to bed. I'm ready to talk about all the other chakras. I know. So am I. But uh, there's a big pile of dishes waiting for you. And a walk for this little baby. That's right. (laughs) She just hit her mouth on the glass table. (laughs) Well, thank you all so much for listening. Again, this is our second episode, and it's on the crown chakra. I don't know what we're going to talk about next time, but the next one will come to you this weekend. Have a great rest of your week. Bye.